welcome to this week's episode of Paranormally Speaking. I'm Neil Parks. This week we will be diving into This is Halloween. Everything pertaining to, revolving around, subjected to, pertaining to Halloween. The truth versus the myth, the legend versus the lore, and everything in between. Horror stories, scary stories, and a lot more in store for this week's episode of Paranormally Speaking. Please hold for a very important message from one of my sponsors. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. And there's been a lot of buzz online about people wanting to put Halloween to the very last weekend of the month in October, which would be heresy, considering it always falls on the 31st of October, and that's where Halloween should stay. Moving it to another day or another time would be completely absurd. It originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts and evil spirits. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints, which All Saints Day became that, incorporated some of the traditions from Samhain, which is Halloween. The evening before was known as All Hallows' Eve, and later Halloween, over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, festivities, gatherings, donning costumes, and eating sweet treats. Halloween's origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival. This was 2,000 years ago in the area that is now known as Ireland, the United Kingdom, and northern France. They celebrated their new year on November 1st. Halloween marked the end of the year. This day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of year that was often associated with human death. Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain, when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids, or Celtic priests, to make predictions about the future. For a people entirely dependent on the volatile nature, natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort and direction during the long, dark winter. To um, commemorate the event, Druids built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the Celts wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and it attempted to tell each other's fortunes. And this is where ghost stories around the bonfire started. When the celebration was over, they relit their hearth fires, which they had extinguished earlier that evening, from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming winter. Did you know that one quarter of all the candy sold annually in the U.S. is purchased for Halloween? Amazing little factoid. By 43 AD, the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. In the course of the 400 years that they ruled the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. The first was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. 
Sorry, I'm still fighting a cold. The second was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees, the symbol of Pomona in the apple. And the incorporation of the celebration into Samhain probably explains the tradition of bobbing for apples that is practiced even today during Halloween parties. On May 13th, 608 AD, Pope Boniface V dedicated the Pantheon Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day. That was established on that day in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs and moved the observance from May 13th to the 1st of November. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with all the supplanted older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Saints Day, a day to honor the dead, all souls. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. All Souls Day was celebrated similarly um, along the traditions of Samhain, with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. The All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallomas from the Middle English Alomese, meaning All Saints. And the night before it, the traditional night of Samhain and the Celtic religion began to be called All Hallows Eve and eventually what we know it as today, Halloween. Celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in colonial New England because the rigid Protestant belief systems there believing that Halloween was much more common with Satanism. It was more commonly practiced in Maryland and the southern colonies and accepted in that region. As the beliefs and the customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, ghost stories, tell each other's fortunes, and dance and sing around the bonfires. Colonial Halloween festivals also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds, basically playing pranks on each other. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the United States. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Hello, kids and adults in the listening audience. I'm Neil Parks, award-winning author and paranormal expert. I'd like to wish all of you a very happy Halloween. You are listening to Big Bad Daddy Wolf's Halloween special on 96.6 The Wolf. If you'd like to learn more about me, then you need to get to Google and search at The Neil Parks or my bookstore website, which is www.lulu.com slash spotlight slash Neil Parks. Thanks. Behold, creepy Halloween tales and traditions. On Halloween, people shed reality for a day and mark the holiday with costumes, decorations, and parties. Creepy legends and characters have evolved based on real, terrifying events. And a Halloween tradition of confronting the dead 
has led to legions of ghost stories and some hoaxes in the mix. A fear of vampires was spawned by consumption. During the 19th century, the spread of tuberculosis or consumption claimed the lives of entire families in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Vermont, and other parts of New England. Before physicians were able to explain how infectious diseases were spread, hopeless villagers believed that some of those who perished from consumption preyed upon their living family members. This spurred a grim practice of digging up the dead and burning their internal organs. Why haunted houses opened during the Great Depression? In the period leading up to the Great Depression, Halloween had become a time when young men could blow off steam and cause mischief. Sometimes they went too far. In 1933, parents were outraged when hundreds of teenage boys flipped over cars, sawed off telephone poles, and engaged in other acts of vandalism across the country. People began to refer to that year's holiday as Black Halloween. Similarly uh, to the way they referred to the stock market crash four years earlier as Black Tuesday. Rather than banning the holiday, as some demanded, many communities began organizing Halloween activities. At haunted houses to keep restless would-be pranksters occupied. Jack-o'-lanterns and the legend of Stingy Jack. An Irish myth about a man nicknamed Stingy Jack is believed to have led to the tradition of carving scary faces into gourds. According to the legend, Jack tricks the devil into paying for his drink and then traps him in the form of a coin. The devil eventually takes revenge and Stingy Jack ends up roaming earth for an eternity without a place in heaven or hell. Jack does, however, have a lighted coal, which he places inside a carved turnip creating the original jack-o'-lantern. Abraham Lincoln's ghost in the White House. For years, presidents, first ladies, guests, and members of the White House staff have claimed to have either seen Abraham Lincoln or felt his presence. Grace Coolidge, wife of Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president, was the first person to report having seen the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. She said, He stood at a window in the Oval Office, hands clasped behind his back, gazing out over the Potomac, perhaps still seeing the bloody battlefields below. Spirit photography claims to capture ghosts on film. In the post-Civil War era, when many Americans were reeling from loss, a photographer named William Mumler claimed to capture ghosts on film. While taking self-portraits for practice, one of Mulmer's prints came back with an unexplainable apparition. Although he was quite alone in the room, when the shot was taken, there appeared to be a figure at his side, a girl who at that time was made of light. Mumler showed the photo to a spiritualist friend who told him the girl in the image was almost certainly a ghost. Mumler then began a swift business in so-called spirit photography. Irving writes The Legend of Sleepy Hollow after fleeing yellow fever. Washington Irving's 1820 tale of a headless horseman who terrorizes the real-life village of Sleepy Hollow is considered one of America's first ghost stories, and one of its scariest. Irving may have drawn inspiration from his story while a teenager in Terrytown, New York. He moved to the area in 1798 to flee a yellow fever outbreak in New York City. Irving's story takes place in the New York village of Sleepy Hollow, 
a lanky newcomer and schoolmaster, Ichabod Crane, is chased by a headless horseman. In the tale, Irving weaves together actual locations and family names and a little bit of Revolutionary War history with pure imagination and fantasy. Horror movies inspired by real stories. On November 13, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family in their sleep. One year later, the Lutz family purchased the house in Amityville, New York, where the horror took place. George and Kathy Lutz then claimed they experienced shocking paranormal phenomena in the house. Green slime oozing from the walls, a creature with red eyes, and multiple family members levitating in their beds. The claims appeared in J. Anson's 1977, The Amityville Horror, which inspired the 1979 movie of the same title, which inspired many more movies. Why did Mary Shelley carry her dead husband's heart? The author of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, is world-renowned for her terrifying fiction, but few know that she had a dark secret of her own. Shelley's husband, Percy, drowned at the age of 29 when his boat was caught in a storm in 1822. Percy's body and those of his fellow sailors were found 10 days later. Percy, Shelley, the others were cremated, but Shelley's heart did not burn, perhaps due to the bout of tuberculosis earlier in his life. Mary Shelley eventually took ownership of her late husband's heart and is said to have carried it around in a silk bag. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you, and your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live, now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. Well, there appears to be a shortage of exorcists within the Catholic Church. Uh, In fact, there was a recent calling from priests on the Catholic Church to appoint more exorcists. Father Pat Collins told the Irish Catholic newspaper demand for exorcism services had risen exponentially in recent years. A renowned Irish exorcist and priest has called on the Catholic Church to appoint more exorcists. Father Pat Collins, Dublin-based priest, said the church needed at least one trained exorcist for each diocese as he gets messages daily from people looking for his help. The priest said the Catholic Church was out of touch with reality as they are sending sufferers of possession to psychologists instead of performing rituals. Father Collins told the Irish Catholic newspaper demand for exorcism services had risen in recent years. What I'm finding out desperately is people who 
in their own minds believe rightly or wrongly that they are being afflicted by an evil spirit, said Father Collins. I think in many cases they wrongly think it, but when they turn to the church, the church doesn't know what to do with them, and they refer them on or either to a psychologist or somebody that they've heard of that is interested in this form of ministry. And they do fall between the cracks and are often not helped at all. The Catholic Communications Office has previously said the church did require that each Irish diocese have a trained exorcist, someone who knows how to distinguish the signs of demonic possession from those of mental or physical illnesses. In 2011, the Catholic Church warned that a surge of Satanism facilitated by the Internet had led to a sharp rise in the demand for exorcism, and a six-day conference was held on the subject, which took place in Rome, Italy. Ten terrifying but true horror stories reported in the news. From fatal exorcisms to unexplained deaths and devil worship, there are some real-life nightmares. A horror movie or book or show gets your heart pumping in the moment, sure. You can at least rest easy afterwards knowing that you experienced possibly a work of fiction. What's more terrifying is when the real world gets creepier than anything Stephen King could dream up. Real terror happens around us every day. Even if it's not always making it into your timeline, murders, disappearances, demonic possession, and devil worship aren't just stories that are made up. These are real terrors and horrors that happen all around us, and they made it to the headlines ripped straight from the news. I've rounded up some of the most horrifying, unexplained, real-world stories, starting with the Axe Murderer House. The Villisca Axe Murder House in Villisca, Iowa, is a well-known tourist attraction for ghost hunters and horror lovers alike. The site of a gruesome, unsolved 1912 murder mystery in which six children and two adults had their skulls completely crushed by the axe of an unknown perpetrator was purchased in 1994, restored to its original 1912 condition, and converted into a tourist destination. It costs $428 a night to stay at the old haunted home where visitors have always reported strange paranormal experiences such as visions of a man with an axe roaming the halls or the faint screams of children. In November 2014, the haunting took a darker turn. Robert Stephen Larson, Jr., 37, of Rhinelander, Wisconsin, was on a regular recreational paranormal visit with friends when true horror struck. His companions found him stabbed in the chest, an apparently self-inflicted wound. They called 911, and Lauren was brought to a nearby hospital before being helicoptered to Creighton University Medical Center in Omaha. The Montgomery County Sheriff's Office said Larson suffered a self-inflicted injury at about 12.45 a.m., which is around the same time the 1912 axe murders and the house began. Larson recovered from his injuries, but has never spoken publicly about what occurred that night. For Martha Lynn, the owner of the home, the incident was very upsetting. It's publicity, but it's not exactly the kind of publicity you desire to have. 
I don't want people thinking that when they come to the Villisca Axe Murder House, something's going to happen that's going to make them do something like that. The house remains open for tourism and tourist visits, and the overnight stays remain today. The Haunted Doll When you think of haunted dolls, it's likely the creepy old Victorian-looking porcelain kind that springs to mind, none of which you probably have laying around. Still, don't get too comfortable around any kid's toys too soon. Though a Disney's Frozen Elsa doll was gifted for Christmas 2013 in the Houston area made headlines earlier that year when it seemingly became haunted. The doll recited phrases from the movie Frozen and sang Let It Go when a button on its necklace was pressed. For two years, it did that in English. Mother Emily Madonia said. In 2015, it started doing it and alternating between Spanish and English. There wasn't a button that changed these. It was just random. The family has owned the doll for more than six years and never changed its batteries. The mother says the doll would randomly begin to speak and sing even when its switch was turned off. The family decided to throw the creepy doll out December of 2019. Weeks later, they found it inside a bench in their living room. The kids insisted they didn't put it there and believe I believe them because they wouldn't have dug through the garbage outside, Madonia told KPRC2, Houston News. At that point, Elsa ceased to sing the English rendition of Let It Go altogether, speaking only Spanish when pressed. The family then double-bagged the bizarre doll and placed it at the bottom of their garbage, which was taken out on garbage day. They went on a trip shortly after that, but when they returned, Elsa too had come back and was waiting in the backyard of their home. This time, the family mailed Elsa to a family friend in Minnesota who taped the haunted doll to the front of the bumper of his truck. It doesn't seem to have made its way back to Houston yet, as per Madonia's latest February Facebook update on the creepy doll case. A Deadly Exorcism In August of 2016, in North London, 26-year-old Kennedy Ife began acting strange and aggressive following a pain in his throat. He reportedly bit his father and threatened to cut off his own penis and complained of a python or snake inside of him before his family restrained him to a bed with cable ties and excessive force. As the BBC reported, the family then set about attempting to cure Kennedy through restraint and prayer over the next three days, the court was told. His brother, Colin Ife, told police, it's clear that thing was in him. What we believed was a demon caused it. It was not natural. It was clearly trying to kill him, he said. We had to restrain him for himself. It was clear if we didn't restrain him, we could have tried to harm people and our family he may have. Kennedy Ife had been bound to his bed for three days without medical attention. When his brother called emergency services, explaining that Kennedy Ife was complaining of dehydration, he appeared to have developed breathing issues and was pronounced dead at 1017. 
While police were at the house, Colin Ife allegedly carried out an attempted resurrection by chanting and praying for Mr. Ife. All seven of Kennedy Ife's family members were accused of manslaughter, false imprisonment, and causing or allowing the death of a vulnerable adult. A post-mortem examination revealed over 60 wounds, including a possible bite on Kennedy Ife's body, and his father, Kenneth Ife, along with four of his brothers, sustained injuries as well. The BBC reported, Kenneth Ife told jurors he ordered his sons to take shifts and use overwhelming force, but denied that an association with cults, occults, or secret societies played any part in his death. After a four-day jury deliberation, all seven family members were cleared of charges on March 14th, 2019. Dead Animals and the Walls A family decided to insulate their home in Auburn, Pennsylvania in 2015. They discovered that it had already been insulated with scores of dead animal carcasses. As Fox News reported, the dead animals were wrapped in newspaper from the 1930s and 40s and were among half-used spices among other items. After removing the items, they sent hundreds of artifacts and carcasses to an expert in Kutztown. The expert attributed the rotting animals in their walls to powwow or Dutch magic, a ritual originating in the culture of Pennsylvania Dutch to treat ailments and gain physical and spiritual protection. The Pennsylvania Dutch were a group of German-speaking settlers to Pennsylvania in the 16 and 1700s and are often of Lutheran, Mennonite, or Amish faiths. The Washington Post noted on the magic, many of the spells deal with the care of livestock, finding water, or the treatment of minor ailments, reflecting the conditions and concerns of early American settlers. But powwow also was within a tradition of darker spells, and even of such things as conjuring demons. One notable ritual in their tradition is this hex to create loyalty in a dog. To attach a dog to a person provided nothing else was used before to affect it. Try to draw some of your own blood and let the dog eat it along with his food, and he will stay with you. The mold found in the rotting carcasses in their home was, has been causing illnesses among the family members. And they say that they had to remove it to get the odor out, and the odor has not gone away. Florida devil worshipping. Friends noticed that Danielle Harkins, a 35-year-old school teacher near St. Petersburg, Florida, started acting strangely in June of 2012, developing an interest in demonic rituals. Soon after, she was arrested for abuse of seven of her former students at the Tampa Bay Times, reported. Daniel Harkins told the kids they needed to rid their bodies of demons as the group gathered before dusk, Saturday around a small fire near St. Petersburg Pier. They should cut their skin to let the evil spirits out. Police said she told the children then they needed to burn the wounds to ensure that those spirits would not return. When Harkins held a lighter to one of the teen's hands, one blew the flames out. 
police said, that prompted her to douse his hand in perfume before setting it on fire. The boy suffered second-degree burns, police said. Another teen was cut on the neck with a broken bottle, police said. Harkins used a flame to heat small key, which she then used to cauterize the wound. The police were notified because a friend of one of the students who participated in the ritual raised alarms. However, none of the students themselves told their parents about the event or would comment following the arrest of Harkins for aggravated battery and child abuse. NBC reported, investigators said they've spoken to Harkins, but she didn't spell out what type of religion would require such drastic measures. She hasn't informed them exactly what she was trying to accomplish with this. Pewitz of St. Petersburg Police Department said. Experience Columbus's newest and most entertaining haunted attraction, Carnage Haunted House. Carnage Haunted House and their monsters return to an all-new indoor 60,000-square-foot location at 3770 Refugee Road, home of intense terror that's guaranteed to scare. Featuring the bayou, the entity, and more, experience the thrill of two of Columbus's most immersive attractions and terrifying all-indoor haunts under one roof. For ticket prices and hours of operation, visit them on Facebook or check out the rest of the campers howled and shouted at the woods near the campsite after the story that Sarge shared. Mike noticed that Jason had spilled something all over his pants and exclaimed to everyone, Hey, Jason pissed his pants because of the story. <laughs> he got, you gotta go fetch wood. Jason looked at his pants and said, No, no, that's not what it is. I spilled water all over myself, you moron. The group erupted in laughter. And even the Sarge got into the spirit of things and cracked a smile. Okay, okay, it's late, troops. Let's turn in and get up at sunrise for breakfast and a hike, Sarge commanded. Most of the campers chose to sleep in their tents, while the Sarge, Mike, and Jason decided to sleep under the stars. Around the campfire, of course. Right after retiring for the evening, various members of the group made goofy animal noises and, of course, the usual fart sounds boys make when they get together as a group. It was who could gross out the group most or scare someone into sleeplessness. It didn't take long, though, before the group drifted off to sleep. The Sarge, Mike, and Jason awoke at that time. In the middle of the night, the unpleasant smell of Wet dog and rotten flesh filled the air. Sarge thought that it might be the damp leaves expelling a rotten odor or the smell of a dead animal blowing in the wind. He tried not to worry about it and didn't want to scare the other campers, but Mike and Jason were not only curious but also concerned. A few of the other campers woke up due to this horrible stench and started muttering to one another. The Sarge said, oh, just go back to sleep and ignore it. It's just a damn animal. After that was said, everyone just slotted off to sleep and decided it was time to be quiet and just go to sleep. Had a big day ahead of them. The campsite fell silent and they slept through the rest of the night. When they awoke the next morning, the sun was peeking over the hillside and blanketed the land with warmth. A few of the campers came crawling out of their tents and noticed that Sarge was already stoking the fire and brewing coffee. He had been up for a while and walked the campsite and the woods surrounding them. 
Morning, Sarge, Mike said as he emerged from his sleeping bag. He looked around and noticed a group of guys walking collectively from one spot to another and discussing something about their discovery. Mike looked at Sarge and said, What's their deal? What are they gibbering about? The Sarge replied without looking away from his fire. There are huge paw prints all over the place. Mike looked around and said, What the? Did anyone see a dog here last night? I thought I smelled one, Thomas said. There were paw prints four feet away from where Thomas had laid his head that night. The prints were long and wide. They sunk deep into the ground. Whatever it was must have been huge and heavy. It couldn't have been a bear. Look at that track. Everyone in the group was pretty freaked out by what they found. They all agreed that they did in fact smell something foul and felt as if they were being watched last night. The group wanted to clear their heads and gather their wits, so they decided to go exploring after breakfast. They were about 10 miles from town. Phone service was non-existent. There was a ranger tower with a radio and a landline if they needed help, or if there was an emergency. The tower was a five-mile hike uphill and near an abandoned caving area. As the group went exploring, the Sarge was playing, paying close attention to their surroundings and tracking whatever it was that was near their campsite. He'd been following the strange tracks from their area all the way to where they were walking. The group approached the closed-off caving area. It was no longer open to the public. There had been a few cave-ins in the past, and due to a minor earthquake a few years before, an unusually large sinkhole had opened up near the mountainside. How deep do you think that pit goes, Sarge? One of the campers asked. All eyes were on the Sarge at this point. He was crouched down near a natural trail and was analyzing some bizarre tracks that were all over their campsite. The Sarge found a strange clump of fur near one of the tracks. He paced back where he found it and stood abruptly to face the campers. All right, show's over. We need to uh, start heading back now. Head back to our site, Sarge said with a sense of urgency in his tone. The group stood befuddled. With an abrupt announcement, Thomas spoke up. Sarge, what the heck are you talking about? Why are you acting so weird right now? Sarge responded with a sense of urgency in his voice. Enough chit-chat, gang. We move now. It was at that moment that the entire group lined up behind Sarge and proceeded to follow him. On the way back to the campsite, they were moving faster than when their journey had begun. Hey, Thomas, what if Bigfoot is hanging around your tent when we get back? One of the friends called out to him. Before Thomas could respond, the sergeant held up his arm, spun around with his finger over his mouth, and whispered for everyone to crouch down. Everyone behind the sergeant turned their attention forward and locked their gaze on what Sarge was watching. What the hell, man? What the freak is that? Thomas whispered. The sergeant raised his hand and made a fat fist to instruct the campers to lower their voices and wait for his orders to be given. Within a few seconds, everyone in the group could see what had Sarge so worried. Standing in the middle of a clearing near the hiking trail was a hairless animal that stood over six feet tall. It was hunched over and on its hind legs. It looked directly at the group slowly walked to the side of the trail, let out an ungodly howl, and the creature darted into the woods 
and left everyone frozen in fear. A rotting wet dog odor filled the air. It was the same terrible smell that permeated the campsite the night before. Everyone saw Sergeant Major like they had never seen him before. He was absolutely frozen with fear. All the campers were equally terrified. The grotesque-looking creature they saw shook the sergeant to his core. He stood in silence for what felt like several minutes, just staring at the wilderness where the beast vanished. When he finally regained his composure, he once again assumed his leadership role and instructed the campers to get moving quickly and not to look back. Sarge bellowed, "'Boys, we are leaving. Pack up everything quickly.' We are going to get back to the site and let's get out of here. None of the boys argued. They stayed close behind Sarge as he quickly moved through the trail. Upon arriving to the campgrounds, they found a majority of their supplies and equipment had been damaged or destroyed, and everything was tossed all around the site. What? What, what happened? Who did this? Thomas cried out. The group also noticed that a few of the tents had huge rips going down the sides as if someone took a sword to them. Why would someone do this? One of the boys asked. Sarge ignored the question altogether and instructed the boys at this most commanding voice, grab what you can and leave what's been destroyed. A few of the campers started to panic as they noticed that they were at least three of those same creatures they saw earlier standing in front of the areas around the hillside. They moved quickly to gather their belongings and piled into their vehicles. Without a second thought, they sped away, leaving a smoke screen of gravel and dirt behind them. Sergeant Major vowed on that day to never set foot in that park for the rest of his life. He no longer allowed the ROTC to camp in that area either. The events of that weekend would indeed go on to haunt these once happy campers and forever discourage them from partaking in a recreational pastime that they once so greatly enjoyed. What did they actually see? No one truly knows. They knew whatever it was, it wasn't alone. There were more of them. Were they leftovers from a previous age that never evolved? Were they man or were they beast? Should the group have reported their encounter? Or was it the right thing to keep their discovery a secret? What if other unsuspecting campers in the park encounter them and they aren't so lucky or as lucky as Sarge and his group? The scary story that Sarge told the group that was told to him while he was in Germany years ago didn't seem to be a legend anymore. For these ROTC campers, the story became a reality. Could it be true? That story was told to Sarge in Germany. What happened to these campers was in the United States. Could there be more of these ancient beasts around the world? What do you think? Be careful while you're in the woods. And happy camping. Thank you for listening. That is all for this week that I will be covering. I hope it was a plethora of information for you to digest and possibly share with your friends or just anyone you pass along the street. Have a great weekend. Please tune in next week for more Paranormally Speaking with your host, award-winning author, Neil Parks. Yes, that's me. Thank you and Godspeed.
Don't need this. 